Hello and welcome to episode number 78. This is a solo Jason episode. I'm Jason. Traeger Method, Jason Traeger. You get it. Um, let's start with a big um. Um, COVID episode. If you follow my Instagram, you're probably aware that I came down with the COVID-19 virus, COVID-19 in 2023, rocking it. I didn't do it when it was trendy. I had to get to it later. Caught it at a, uh, I'm, I'm assuming I caught it at a Dan Deacon show. I've really never heard Dan Deacon before, but my friend, the very funny comedian, genius, Phil Schulberger, he said, you got to go see Dan Deacon. I'm going to buy a ticket. You come. He's very generous, very nice. He said, Dan Deacon does all these really interesting things with the crowd where he does like crowd interaction stuff. And so uh, I said, okay, you know, I'm like, I've talked about in the pod, I'm into doing stuff. You know, it's post COVID. Ha, let's get out there and do stuff. So I went all open-minded and uh, really enjoyed the show. The first two acts deja blue who was fantastic it was just like this thing out of a it was like something out of a david lynch movie i mean it looked exactly like a david lynch movie he's just sitting wearing a silver mask this young blonde haired kind of surfer looking guy with a silver mask on sitting at an electric electronic drum set he's got all these triggers that are playing these synth songs while he plays drums very well to these interesting poppy weird songs and then he has another masked woman came out at one point and did these like recitations while he played and there's you know not there's a, the doug fur in portland if you know it my patented trigger method burp right there did you hear that so disgusting uh <clears throat> but i choose to leave it in for some reason i can't explain quite yet so anyways deja blue he was awesome and then he's, this is the Doug Fur. He's got the beautiful lights, blue, and it was perfect. The crowd really liked him. He was he was awesome. And then my friend Mary Sutton, who performs under the name Saloli, she did a keyboard set, which was a, a synthesizer set, which was absolutely fantastic. Crowd got a little restless during her set. It was a little noisy, still very respectful, but a little noisier than I wished. But she was great. The place was just packed. It was the second of two sold out shows. Place was packed. <clears throat> and uh, then Dan Deacon came on, and he seems like a great guy. And the music, you know, I got a feel for what it is, but the sound was atrocious. Like, remember, I talked about uh, the Hammered Holes show with last week's uh, guest, Hutch Harris, how great the sound was. We went on about it. I mean, the band was fantastic, but like the fact that it sounded so good just made them shine that much more dan deacon show is just the opposite it's like he plays kind of dance music if you're not familiar with his music it's kind of a frenetic <clears throat> i guess you'd call it dance type music but uh it's like imagine dance music but in this case with no low end just pure mid-range so loud that like even when he spoke because he does a lot of speaking a lot of talking you know sort of you know he's like a funny guy I think I couldn't really understand hardly anything he said because it was so loud and it just hurt my ears and nobody else seemed bothered by it. It was, it was strange. And I put earplugs in and it still hurt my ears. 
you're going to find out this is a very hearing centered uh, episode. <clears throat> so anyways, and so then, uh, so yes, yeah, so I'm sitting there going like, God, am I, is there something wrong with me? Cause this is like torture I'm trying to enjoy it, but, uh, it's just punishing. Now I will acknowledge what you're probably thinking, which is that, you know, the fact that I was probably 20 years older than the, the next oldest person in the room might've been a factor, but you know, in my defense, I don't mind loud. I just want it to sound good. But yeah, maybe it was a factor. But, you know, the crowd was so into it. They just obviously are people that have grown up with him and he's, you know, he's been around like, I don't know, 20 years or something. And uh, they were having a fantastic time and, they were, and he does all these things that seem kind of generational to me, a little Nickelodeon-ish, you know, like uh, his, his stage stuff. Like, okay, everybody form a big circle, then two people get inside and start dancing. And then when you want to tap out, you point to somebody else and then they come in and they'll dance and everybody got down. And it was very cool, you know? I mean, it's, it's cool. It's not my thing maybe, but like, I was trying to think of a punk rock equivalent from our generation. And I thought to myself, like the band Plain Rap, they used to do a song like Red Light, Green Light. And I remember being, excuse me. I remember being at places. Sorry, I had to pause for a minute to clear my throat. I really do have COVID. I, I feel like I'm, I don't want to sound too good because I don't want people to not believe that I didn't. I don't know. Why do I feel like I'm skipping work? I'm working right now making a podcast. So I have COVID. I'm making a podcast. I'm working through COVID. So I'm a true American, right? Um, so anyways, uh, what was I saying? I didn't want to sound like I was faking COVID. So I, I made my throat all. Um, so, uh, oh yeah, maybe that's brain fog. I just paused again to try and collect my thoughts. Yeah, plain rap. They used to do this song, Red Light, Green Light, and they would, you know, Red Light. And I remember seeing them like at the Olympic Auditorium in LA, a very chaotic, big, huge punk venue. You've probably heard of it if you haven't been there yourself. SoCal people know what I'm talking about. And you see the the whole pit, circle pits, you know, there'd be like four circle pits going, maybe one for the opening act. Plain rap was always an opening, an opener. You know, certain bands kind of always stayed at that opening slot, plain rap. Anyways, red light, the whole pit would stop. Green light, and then it would start back up again. I'll see if I can find a drop for that right now. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's plain rap, red light. Um, so anyways, the Dan Deacon show had a had that vibe a little. Anyways, but the the point of why I bring it up, and because I was at the show, and, and I, I remember turning to my friend Phil at one point and saying, this is so post-COVID, this show. Because the walls, it was the first time I had been in a room where like the air was thick and moist, you know, like kind of drippy. And everybody's touching themselves. He does this other thing where he says, okay, everybody, like, two people form a pyramid. Like, put your hands together. Like, form a pyramid between two people. Can you get what I'm saying? Like, touching fingertips, standing across from one another, holding their hands high, touching finger, And then somebody goes under, and then they, then they join the link until it makes a chain of these human arches through the place. Do you get what I'm saying? You got a visual on that? 
stuff like that. I'm like so post COVID. Like everybody, you're already standing next to one another. Now let's all touch one another and breathe on one another in a pyramid. It was so post COVID. Not. <laughs> it was. It was current COVID. I found out because uh, three days after the show or whatever, I had COVID. So. I wasn't, uh, I was wrong in, I was right in saying it was a Petri dish for COVID. It seemed like a, whatever, you get what I'm saying. I got COVID at the Dan Deacon show. I'm trying to, uh, that's what I'm trying to tell you. And while I did not participate in the pyramid uh, human arches ex, uh, experiment, I was not wearing a mask, so, you know. But no one was in the entire place, so whatever. And uh, as I mentioned on Instagram, I was planning on taking, and I mentioned it last episode, that I was was going to to be taking a trip down to Oakland to visit Martin Sprouse, previous Traeger Method guest. I was hoping to do a podcast episode while I was down there. I mentioned that as well. Um, That is not happening because I'm home. Uh, The fates do not want me to leave the Pacific Northwest. And who am I to say... It wasn't for the best. I don't know. You know, you don't know how things, you got to trust it. So anyways, I stayed home being sick. COVID, you know, it wasn't as bad as it could be. Obviously, people died from it. So definitely wasn't as bad as that. Um, but, uh, you know, it was pretty bad. I haven't been sick in years. I haven't been sick. I can't remember. I literally can't remember the last time I was sick, at least five years ago, probably longer. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I had a fever bad cough, headache, skin felt weird, all kinds of weird feelings, strange dreams, moved around, you know, I've had of those, you feel good one minute, and the ups and downs of COVID, you're, you're energetic, yeah, it's all gone, and then two days, two hours later, you're, you're, um, you know, totally on your back, just sleeping, had all that stuff, but the thing that uh, I, I've noticed and I talked about that today in a post I made, is that I have this clicking in one of my ears. And I I thought originally it was just connected to this runny nose, sinus type situation. But, uh, you know, it's continued. Like my, it just keeps clicking. And uh, so I looked it up, of course. Don't Google COVID symptoms, people. If if you have it, it's just going to freak you out. But I I wanted to find out if this is a thing because I figured it's got to be, you know, something. And sure enough, you know, COVID ear, that's a thing, COVID ear. And, but it's usually tinnitus or tinnitus, as I call it. I, I'm old school. I go tinnitus. Tinnitus sounds like American to me. Tinnitus, the Greek guy down the street. Tinnitus sounds like a Roman general. Um, so, so, whatever. Typically, tinnitus, tinnitus is the thing that people get from COVID, and they'll have some hearing loss sometimes, which is wonderful, the gift that keeps giving. Um, but I get this thing, this clicking, and it's called, um, sorry, I had to stop and look it up again, myoclonus. It's either that or it's earwax. I mean, that's the other possibility that it just happened to come. This is a gross, I've been doing this thing lately, burping and talking about earwax and diseases and viral infections. Try your method bodies. A lot of body horror on the podcast lately. Anyways, um, yeah, so they say myoclonus is is a rare complication from COVID. And in some people, it's proven to be, if not permanent, long-term. You know, they've had people that have had it for a couple years, 
which, you know, I hope that's not the case. They said there's all kinds of medications you can take for it. It's, it's basically a spasming of the eardrum or something like that, which, you know, not cool. I'll probably get used to it if I have it. I, I don't see myself like taking drugs. Uh, it always seems weird to take a pharmaceutical to deal with like one little tiny part of your body. Doesn't that seem strange that you would take like a drug that goes into your entire system to try and deal with literally the smallest muscle in your entire body, which I've learned about this eensy weensy teeny tiny little muscle spasms in your ear. And it makes this clicking in my ear, probably not yours. I hope I did one friend of mine, Ian uh, Hawk. He, he told me he has this myoclonus. Actually, two friends, Jason Lane, who I went to high school with in San Diego, who was in the incredible band Crash Worship, San Diego Legends. Jason got it from COVID. He has some vertigo attached to his. He said that has been bothering him for quite some time. That's a new sound. What was that? What, is, what do you call that one? Since I've been talking about the body here, I'm just going to continue talking about that. That's a sound my girlfriend thinks I fake. She says, you don't really make that sound. I do a much louder version of that. Like, I don't know how to describe it. It doesn't really have a name. It's not a hiccup. It's not a burp. It's something. She thinks it's an affected thing. I'm like, well, why do you think I do that deliberately? She says, well, you never do it in public when we're at restaurants. So you can control it. And then, so anytime I do it out in public, I always am like, if she's there, I'm like, I just did it. And also, you know, what possible reason would I have to do that on purpose? Do I do that to look cool? You know? (sighs) No, I'm not impressing anybody with that. But of course, she can have her theory. That's hers. If anybody else, any myoclonus people out there, hit me up. Support group forming. I don't know. I was just thinking, like, if I have to live with this clicking in my ear, I'll probably just get used to it, right? Uh... It's like I have vitreous floaters. You guys have those? I think most, like tons of people have those, those kind of like translucent looking threads that float on your eyeballs. <laughs> like they float in your eye. Like if I look up at a clear blue sky, they'll, they'll they sort of, you know, s- spin around and, and drop down like in my eye. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you might think I'm hallucinating, but if you know what I'm talking about, you're one of the many, many people who have vitreous floaters. You know what I'm talking about. You know, I, they don't bother me unless you think about them. Like when you're out looking at a blue sky or whatever, you, you think about it and you go, oh, I have vitreous floaters. They're gnarly. There's so many of them. But you tend to just kind of not notice it. Um, and so I figure like this clicking would probably be something like that. I just hope I don't have hearing loss. It does seem like I have a little hearing loss in that ear. And maybe I should uh, go to the doctor and see if there's, I, I will obviously at some point. If they continue the click, if the clicking continues, uh, <laughs> it's a very um rich pod. I'm not going to take them out though because it's a document of what is. So I'm so I'm researching myoclonus hearing issues and the algorithm. I'm looking at YouTube videos, learning about the ear, learning about COVID ear, and the pod or the algorithm feeds me. You know, it looks at my demos and goes, what does this guy want to, what does this 55-year-old white guy want to hear? He wants to hear Brian Johnson from ACDC talking about 
his hearing loss. And you know what? You're right, YouTube. I do want to hear Brian Johnson from ACDC talking about his hearing loss. So I click on the video and I start watching Brian Johnson talking about hearing loss and his journey with it. The host of the show is this young guy. And, uh, and I'm, I'm listening to him. And the host, he has this slight Irish accent. And I was going, the guy's name is Tom Power. So it sounds like he could be Irish. You know, Tom Power, right? And, uh, but I'm going like, it's such a slight Irish accent. I'm thinking, is this guy like an Irish American who's doing a kind of sympathetic Irish accent because Brian Johnson has a Scottish accent? Because I remember when I was young, like a teenager, I was really into being Irish. My last name is Traeger, which is German, but I'm three quarters straight from the Emerald Isle, right? Uh, O'Donnell is my middle name. My mom's name is Murphy, Garvey's, Murphy's, O'Donnell's. And then there's one German, my grandpa Traeger, which through patriarchal stuff gave me the name Traeger. But I'm, you know, I, 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 I'm... So anyways, when I was young, I was, I was in, I went through that phase that a lot of young people or some young people go through where they're like, whoa, I'm Irish. You know, I, I do come from a kind, you know, a lot of Americans are searching for some kind of identity. Like, oh, I, I am something. I'm not just a, a consumer. I have like some kind of a root, you know, like my family has a certain thing, which is like Irish Catholic with this sauerkraut in there too. Um, so I was, I was kind of into it. And I remember being drunk at a bar once in San Francisco, very Irish. And I started doing an Irish accent with this guy. I was talking with this guy. And, I, and then I realized, like, this guy has seen me in this bar. I used to go to this bar every night after work at Alternative Tentacles. We would stop there. And I remember thinking, like, ha, I, was, I started doing this little bit of an Irish accent, kind of putting on this thing. It was, like, so embarrassing. This makes my face red just thinking about it. It's so embarrassing. Uh, so I just found myself drunk doing this little bit of an Irish accent, pretending to be Irish. And this guy was looking at me like, dude, I've seen you in here so many times. You're not, you don't have an Irish accent. It was so embarrassing. I hate even telling this story. I was like 19. I, I don't know, whatever. Um, so, so, so I'm listening to this guy doing this little light Irish accent. I'm thinking, what is this guy's deal? Is he, I, I have to find out Tom Power, CBC radio host talking to Brian Johnson. Is he Irish? So I Google him and he's Canadian, CBC, Canadian Broadcast Service Corporation, CBC. And, uh, and it turns out he's from Newfoundland, not Newfoundland, Newfoundland. The, the island off the east coast of Canada. And it, so I look up the Newfoundland accent, and sure enough, the Newfoundland accent is famous for being the most Irish accent outside of Ireland. So I start looking at videos about this accent, and, and they, they're mostly videos of old, these are like you know, old films of, elderly Newfoundland guys, they were all guys, um, talking and they sound exactly like they're from Ireland, specifically County Mayo, people pointed out in the comments. So I go, okay, this guy's off the, 
this guy's off the hook. He's not doing a fake Irish accent. He has this slight Newfoundland accent where he's from, Tom Power. And so I look into Tom Power. I'm just going, well, I'm, I'm already exploring Tom Power. So what's the deal with this guy? And it turns out he got famous in Canada or known originally of being part of a band called the, um, the Dardanelles, which I think refers to something to do with Newfoundland. I didn't get that far in my research. The Dardanelles, who are a traditional Newfoundland folk music group. And they're really good. I took a listen. Here's a thing from YouTube. There's no title on this one, but here it is. That's just good music, you know what I mean? Like, that makes you feel good. I don't know why that makes you want to cry for some reason. <laughs> mm. So, <clears throat> it makes me feel like I actually do have some Irish, like, link in me genetically. <laughs> why does that just bring me uh, that emotional brink? I'm leaving that in, too. It's a beautiful thing, you know. If I'm going to leave in the burps, I should leave in also the uh, coming to the verge of tears after listening to a little tune. It's beautiful. Nothing wrong with that. It's good. Something about COVID makes me really emotional. I don't know why that is. <clears throat> or maybe it doesn't have anything to do with COVID. Maybe it's just that I'm like an emotional guy and that's okay. And I can just let that be. I don't know. Um, but it's just, it smells, you know, it's, it, that, that music smells to me like fresh air and uh, ocean spray or something. It sounds like what I imagine Newfoundland is like. And yeah, of course, you can hear the Irish influence in there. It's, uh, it's part of a tradition, a lineage, sort of like the accent, I guess. So anyways, this Tom Power guy... That's the band that he's in, and they're really into you know preserving and promoting Newfoundland traditional music. He was um, the youngest, I find out, he's the youngest ever BBC guy to ever have a CBC show. At age 21, he had a national radio show, which makes me hate the guy on one hand, because nobody should have success young, right? We don't like that story. We want to hear about, unless you die young, then it's cool. But... Uh, you should have success. Success is cool when you're old. Like for me, I, I put it, at, you know, in your 70s. That's the story I want to hear. Somebody just killing it at 70. That's an inspiring story. A 21-year-old killing it, I, I'm not, I don't care. When I saw Brendan Canty uh, at the Hammered Holes show, he was telling me Eli Janney's kid does a YouTube show. I've been watching a lot of YouTube. He does a YouTube show. I haven't found it, but... And he makes like $5,000 a month from his YouTube show and he's 17. That's like not the kind of story I like. It's like, oh, that's cool. Thank you. I, will, I do not know anything about this world or how it works. I'm stoked to make like $124 a month doing this podcast. I don't understand things and people and stuff and technology. And let's just be done with everything. That's good. No. Okay, I digress. Uh, no, I wish him well. I'm glad Tom Power had success at 21. I'm glad he's killing it in the radio now, interviewing Brian Johnson, playing Labrador, Newfoundland, 
folk music. I think it's wonderful. The music's cool. He seems like a cool guy. He's probably a good interviewer. Although he does do a show that like, it's, it's that show Q. I don't know if you remember, if you've ever seen Q or listened to it, I suppose. It, uh, Gian Gomeshi was the disgraced. He was some kind of a sexual predator, if I remember correctly. He used to host, I used to listen to that show on an NPR back when I listened to NPR. I don't listen to that anymore. But uh, very infrequently, I should say, occasionally in the car. But uh, I find it so annoying. What do I find so annoying? Well, for one thing, there's too much smile talking. Sometimes I'll, I'll turn it on and just like, we're, we're talking to you. So tell us, I don't, I don't, I don't know the smile. I mean, I'm smile talking right now, so I'm one to talk, but you know what I'm talking about? NPR style smile talking. I don't know. It's just like the world's heating up and it's coming to an end and big business runs everything is destroying life on earth. And there's a fascist takeover, but we're going to talk about a casserole recipe. That's really exciting because it draws on the heritage of, or what? I don't know. I can't, I, I think NPR is like a, it's a pacifying drug. I'll talk more about my theory on entertainment as a drug later, which leads me to, but anyways, what I was going to say was that, um, Q, you know, it's one of those shows that focuses on celebrities. I just don't like celebrity culture. You know, I'll listen to Brian Johnson talking about his hearing loss, but I don't want to hear. I just, I just don't, I don't like celebrities. I think it's, it's bad. I mean, I don't like, not the people themselves. I'm sure there's celebrities who are fine, but I, I don't like celebrity in general. Uh, got me thinking about the, okay. So I, I should keep, I should keep going on this Newfoundland thing. So anyways, and this will tie back into what I was just about to talk about celebrity and entertainment and the, the damage that entertainment does to our culture. <laughs> That's my proposal as someone who's literally been watching entertainment at home in bed on a computer 24 hours. Well, every waking moment for the past four or five days, four days, I don't know. And I'm here ma- making what could be, if this might be considered entertainment itself. So, you know, I guess that's meta. And you probably found out about this through Instagram, which is meta, which is meta and meta and meta within meta. Oh God. So, so I'm looking at the Newfoundland thing and I, 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 I watch another Dardanelles video, a little uh, movie about them. They're playing on a ferry in Newfoundland. Looks beautiful, kind of Pacific Northwesty, a little different, a little more stripped down foliage. I'd like to go to, it made me want to go to Newfoundland. You know, that's, that's a thing right there. I talk a lot about non-duality and looking at the self and watching the mind do its thing and disident, you know, Stop not identifying with the mind as who I actually am, identifying myself as universal consciousness, presenting as the mind. I talk about this on the podcast. If you haven't heard this before, I do that. Um, 
And if this is the very first episode you've ever listened to of the podcast, you might want to go back to a previous episode and get started there. That's just a suggestion. Whatever. It's fine. I, uh, you know, I know some people have a hard time I'm uh, feeling a sense of identity and self, and then others, it's, it's a struggle to break free from it. I, I do both, as many people probably do. You know, I have a wishy-washy sense of myself occasionally. Like, I'll watch Brian Johnson, and I'll be like, I should be like him. Maybe I am Brian Johnson. I should be just a stripped-down, no-nonsense put in, you know, four on the floor, don't try and reinvent the wheel kind of artist. I should be knocking out stuff people want, not weird misshapen art with rough edges. I should be a working man's artist of some kind. I should just be a working man, not an artist. Uh, because I'm watching a Brian Johnson video, so I feel like that's what I should be. And if I watch a David Bowie thing, I'm just like, I should be a gender-bending, visionary space creature. and I could be anything or nothing. I'm watching the Newfoundland thing, and I think I should just devote myself to Newfoundland music and just go there and build some bridge with that place for no reason because I watched a video. You turn that off and you direct the mind goes somewhere else. And then I, you know, so I once have this like loose sense that I could be anybody and maybe I'm nobody. And then another, and then other times I'm just so caught in my particular loop system that I can't believe my life is so limited to my personality that that's, see, this is why you meditate folks. This is why I meditate. And this is why I keep in the forefront of my mind that I am not the mind. I am universal consciousness itself. I am pure awareness beyond even that. Gotta be right. Because I'm the supreme reality as far as I can tell. And of course, by that, I don't mean me, Jason Traeger. That's the opposite of what I'm talking about. I mean, my true nature is that I am the supreme reality. You know, if there's a God, it's God has to be here. This has to be God at every minute. If you just pay attention, you know, you can't place it outside over there ahead of you, behind you, around you somewhere else out of touch Michelangelo finger barely you know just a little space between that little tiny space might as well be a million trillion miles apart the mind creates the abyss the heart crosses it in the Sargadatta I'm talking about Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel painting God and Adam you know the one it's all got to be one thing right so anyways <clears throat> so I'm looking at this Newfoundland, I started going deeper on the Newfoundland thing. Let's see where this takes us. And uh, in this Dardanelles video of them playing on the ferry, the woman in the band, I don't know her name, she is the fiddler. And she talks about how she learned from this guy they were performing with on this ferry. And, you know, and she's like, because we didn't get to meet the masters, like she mentions this name, Rufus Ginchard. She goes, we didn't get to meet Ruf- Rufus Ginchard, you know? Because these guys are all in their 20s, these kids, the Dardanelles. 
so happy too. They seem so happy. Just these playing this wonderful music like I just played, all smiling as part of this tradition. Who can be bummed at this music? It feels good to play. They seem so healthy. He's a 21-year-old national radio, you know, so well-adjusted, so good. Not that the Dardanelles don't have problems, but they just seem so good. And anyways, she's talking about how, you know, we didn't get to see, we didn't get to meet Rufus Ginchard. So I'm going, well, who's Rufus Ginchard? This guy's obviously, you know, the Robert Johnson of Newfoundland music, you know, or something. He's some kind of a bridge. So I, you know, keep going looking for this. I go, Rufus Ginchard, I find him. And sure enough, he's the bridge, one of the bridge guys. You know, he, he was playing um, this traditional Newfoundland music, I think from like the 30s, 40s, 50s. And then in the 60s, jukeboxes showed up. And they said, you know, back in the day, I'll, I'll put this on YouTube, this, this clip from this Rufus Ginchard thing from the probably 19, early 80s or something when he was, on, when he was like 84 he was starting to get honored. But anyways, he was talking about how like, yeah, back in the thirties and forties, he would just, you know, walk from town to town after work and all day and play his fiddle for anybody who would have him. And everybody wanted him because there's no entertainment of any kind. And I couldn't go and tell him I want to go and play for him because he was dancing different dances by this jukebox, you know, and, and the band's playing. There was, was waltzing and just all of them up in the middle of the house of a bundle, you know, one over the other. <laughs> There's no such thing as a square dance stick. After that, when it went that playing, we used to play for it. Must have been pretty sad to see that. Oh, yes, yeah, so it was. Some put away their fiddles forever, but not Rufus. He loved it too much. And sure enough, in the early 1970s, there was a revival of interest in traditional Newfoundland music. Once again, the sound of the fiddle can be heard along with the screech of the gulls in this fishing village just outside St. John's. Kelly Russell is determined to preserve Rufus Ginchard's music forever. So far, he's recorded 60 of his jigs and reels. I, I don't know if that sounded echoey to you. There's like, in my ears just now as I put that clip in, it sounded all echoey. I don't know why. Maybe it didn't. And maybe I'm saying this for no reason because it didn't sound echoey, but whatever. There's no producer on this show, folks. It's just me. So he starts playing again, or he, I mean, he never stopped, but he starts being in demand again. And the folk people, you know, they start documenting and recording all his music so it's not lost and he gets honored as like with the highest Canadian cultural award and stuff like that which is great and he's very charming and the music he plays is awesome and he t ended up touring the world going to Japan and all these places playing this Newfoundland music with some young guys and it was just you know cool that's the kind of success story we want right 84 years old is when you should break that's what I'm shooting for 84 shooting for 84 <clears throat> so what's the point of what i'm talking about well what are we what have we discussed we, we discussed the algorithms how the algorithms just take you from boom where did i go from covid ear to rufus ginchard newfoundland music by way of brian johnson of acdc 
which leads me back to the thing of uh, that I was going to say about that entertainment is a problem in our country. Now, hear me out. Again, I'm addicted to it too, but I, I will say I think entertainment is like an addictive substance, like fentanyl or something. Like the entertainment that we get from the, the entertainment industry and sent to us through the algorithms of these huge, massive corpor- corporations. Um, it's like crack. It's, it's fentanyl. It's, it's so refined and jacked and, and available and all that. It's, there's too much of it and it's too dense and stuff. Like, like Rufus, Rufus uh, Ginchard, that's healthy. That's like chewing a coca leaf if you're in the Andes in the, you know, prehistoric civilization. It's fine. It's like ayahuasca. It's healthy for you. Non-addictive. Just makes your life better to have Rufus come by and play his fiddle for the the little group. You know, that's kind of, I mean, like punk rock, right? You know, when we this punk rock podcast, right? You know, old school punk, like you know, you get together in a VFW hall, set up your thrift store instruments, your pawn shop instruments. And, you know, naturally American 1980s hardcore is going to be aggressive and violent and angry. Uh, (laughs) You you know, I'm joyous too, of course, but you know what I mean? That's going to be the style because this is like an aggressive, violent, angry culture where the world's, you know, empire so you know but that's our folk music and that was my folk music of my youth i wasn't a dardanelle sitting on a ferry playing a uh fiddle you know we were we were seeing useless pieces of shit at the sun valley sportsman hall okay yeah and but it was healthy in a weird way even if you know, didn't get your head stomped in um, there was something healthy about the fact that it was like a homemade, homebrewed, small batch artisanal folk art by the people for the people. So yeah, my contention is just that the whole civilization should not be based on our need to be constantly entertained at all times in order to survive in our culture. We shouldn't need it that bad, but we do need it that bad. I mean, imagine living in this culture without it. I think about that sometimes when I'll be out in the suburbs and I'll drive past, you know, those mega apartment complexes, you know, just the generic, massive complexes of apartments with the big parking lots, you know, on the side of the freeway or just in suburbia or something or just tracked homeville. I'll just think like none of this could exist if every single unit didn't have a PlayStation, a computer, and a big screen, you know, flat screen TV in it. Like we would just not function. Like the built environment would have to be better looking. You know, our built environments in America, I'm talking America here, right? Are built for automobiles. I mean, yes, people are in the automobiles, but you know, the environment is made for these machines to move in. You're not supposed to be a person walking around. You're in danger if you are. You're vulnerable, you're alienated. You gotta be in the car. <clears throat> and then you got to go home to a place with a screen because, you know, otherwise you wouldn't do well. Not that we're doing well, but it's kind of just the same way that the fentanyl crisis, 
you know, it, it speaks to the alienation of the nation. And I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, and I will talk about it a lot more because it's one of those things that people don't pay enough attention to that, you know, a big part of America's alienation, mental health crisis, all these things that, you know, that we talk about a big, huge part of it is this, you know, the crisis of the commons that we have this denuded, devalued, dehumanized landscape that so many of us live in a deeply unpleasant landscape and you want to escape from it. I mean, if we didn't have these screens everywhere in our lives, making us uh, entertained, numb, distracted, whatever you want to say, we would not be able to survive. We would have to have a nicer looking world around us. A more nicely, a highly, um, we would demand a more highly, a higher functioning and a, a human scale livable environment. So I'm, that's what I'm trying to get at is this idea that, you know, they all go hand in hand. It all fits together. You know, we invite the ads into our world. We entertain ourselves. We accept the screen as life and we accept, you know, you know, it all fits in together. And then we get in our cars and zip around between the corporate shopping places and the corporate homes. And this is all very dystopian, but it's also the world you live in if you live in America. So <clears throat> that's what I'm saying. And the whole thing about comparing, you know, entertainment to fentanyl, you get it, I think. And here's something that just occurred to me just now, live on air. Not that this is going out live, but you know what I mean. Just now, it occurred to me that when I got choked up after hearing that Dardanelles tune, maybe it wasn't because I felt some atavistic connection to the the motherland, but maybe it's because it's a kind of music that I think I want to live in a place and a culture where that's the kind of music that just naturally comes out of it, that just reflects the bugs and the bees and the ferns and the breeze and the clouds and the trees and the mist and the breeze and the ocean and spray and the warm family get together or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that, that's what comes out of us naturally. And that that music doesn't sound like totally out of place. You know, that is not the music of a Walmart parking lot with a big gulp rolling around. And I'm not saying it should be this way or it should be that way or whatever. You know, I accept reality hundred percent total acceptance of reality exactly as it is. That's my motto. That's where you start from. But there is a sadness, of course, in our culture. I don't have to tell you that. There's a reason. There's so much alienation and all that. And we're trying to figure out ways to get around it. This podcast is my way. Being emotional, being vulnerable, being real with you. This is my song. This is my song. I'm sharing it with you. From my sickbed. I'm literally in my sickbed too, by the way. Holding my mic in my hand. And I can't, I can't, I, I haven't thought this through well enough to like be able to really defend it. But I do, I, I remember when, when I was doing comedy in the Trump era and, and I would go out and, and, you know, your job was to make the crowd laugh. Like I was hosting at Helium, you know, which is a gig you, you need to make people laugh. It's not the kind of place where you, it's not the kind of comedy slot that you can alienate the audience and, and do well or with the club, you know? You're hosting. You got to get everybody happy for the headliner and the 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 uh, feature comic. That's your job. And 
And I remember thinking, this sucks. I should not be, we should not all be laughing right now. We should be out in the streets. This is what I was thinking at the time. Like comedy is, is, this is, we should not all be laughing all the time. We should not all be, uh, you know, entertained. We should be more upset. I think entertainment keeps us docile. You know, that was the, the thought. And I, and I still kind of think that, but then at the same time, yes, we need self-care. We need to take care of ourselves. Comedy crowd in Portland are probably good people. They need to laugh. They're not laughing all the time. It's, it's a break from the not laughing. So you know what I mean? I get that. But I think you also understand what I'm saying. Something about it just didn't feel right on some level. One film I watched during my COVID convalescence here on Canopy, the free library. You can get it through your library, some library systems. Canopy with a K, streaming service. I watched a great film that I would like to highly recommend to everyone. And it talked to exactly what I'm talking about. There was a part of it that that addressed this head on, this entertainment idea. I Am Not Your Negro, the James Baldwin documentary where he looks at the lives of Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and Medgar Evers. And it's, again, that's a highly recommended, I would highly recommend from my COVID binge watching, I gotta throw out I Am Not Your Negro, James Baldwin documentary, must see viewing. The Tina documentary, Tina Turner, rest in peace, goddess, true icon, survivor, ultimate overcomer, achiever, absolutely incredible late bloomer at 40. Yeah, right. That's when she had her mega success as a solo artist. Sounds pretty young to me now, but uh, you know what I mean? For the record industry in the eighties, that was not the case, especially for a black woman. Uh, But yeah, Tina, that documentary again, must see, but the James Baldwin thing, he talks about that, how our entertainment makes us, gives us this impression like everything's all right. You can step over the homeless. You can step past the evil. You know, because we're all laughing and we're getting messages like crazy all the time of normalization and, you know, the brutality of the capitalist economy. It's, yeah, you know, we're all just doing this and, you might not have access to healthcare, but here's somebody popping a zit, a doctor who's making a ton of money popping zits on Netflix. Not that there's anything wrong with it. You know, I don't know. It's fun. We love body horror, don't we? You know, 25 kids might've just got sawn in half by a, disgruntled teenager with an AR-15 that he bought yesterday. No questions asked, but here's, you know, whatever. I'm not thinking super improv right now. Some bauble to amuse you. NPR, so like that. There's so many times during the, like again, back to NPR. So many times during the Trump era where You'd, I'd listen to it and just be like, lulled. You know, everything's reasonable. 
everything's normal. We're going to be talking to a man who, a politician on, on the other side who's declared an outright genocidal program of fascist authoritarianism, and we're going to see how that might figure into our future as a nation, the great history, the tapestry that is America and our democracy. Can our democracy... Can our democracy uh, survive becoming an authoritarian fascist? Would it, would it be okay for our democracy if we stopped pretending it was a democracy and just became an outright fascist regime? More on that. But first, our jazz critic. I'll tell you about the new Brandon Marsalis album. Ah. <sighs> That's my NPR. Okay, I'm done with NPR, sorry. When I do my NPR imitation, I feel like I'm imitating an imitation I've already heard of NPR. I'm trying to think of who that is, who I'm imitating. Maybe I'm not. Maybe that's, you know what it is, if you've heard of Okay. Back to the show, folks. You know, and, and again, I, I haven't thought this through. I can't, I, I'm, I'm COVID-brained. I can't, I can't explain to you or make an argument about this. This is not even what I'm trying to do. I'm just throwing this out there as a thing to mull. You can just mull this. The word mull makes me think of Mull of Kintyre, the song by Paul McCartney, which reminds me that I also watched the two-part George Harrison Living in the Material World documentary. This is the algorithm of my brain feeding you thoughts. And I also thought about how Martin Sprouse sent me very, very kindly five bottles of cold-pressed watermelon juice, which he found very refreshing during his COVID. So he sent some to me. So sweet. And we were joking about, I was asking him like, well, what's the opposite of, what's the alternative to cold-pressing watermelon juice? Is there a hot press? And then I said, like, is there like, you know, hot water, like mold watermelon juice? You know, like mold apple cider during uh, Christmas time or whatever? So that's the little mole, mole jam. That's some word jazz there in the Ken Nordine tradition. Or what was that guy's name? Lord Buckley. That's my, that's, a, that's me making a mountain out of a molehill. George Harrison documentary, also awesome. And the watermelon juice was incredible. Little soda water in there. Spritzer watermelon. So refreshing. So hydrating. Thank you, Martin. So yeah, on the entertainment subject, I don't have a thesis. I'm just meditating on, yeah, you know, the role that it takes in our lives to soothe us into just accepting something that's, it limits the imagination. We could, we could, we, we can imagine better things and we can live out better things. And of course, this, I get, well, not of course, but this brings us all to the question of art versus entertainment. You know, I mean, music is obviously deeper than just entertainment. It goes to the deepest root of what we are. Storytelling, deepest root of what we are, a most ancient impulse of self-expression. It's very tied in with capitalism now in our, in our imagination, but the two are not one in any like there's no inevitable melding of capitalism and entertainment i mean uh, and uh art 
the creative impulse in humans to express. The two are not one. One is ancient and eternal, and the other is very temporary and modern, imposed over it. And I've been thinking about this because I'm playing music, and I'm expressing myself right now, so. And I don't feel like this is just meant to soothe. I hope there's something deeper in both of these things than mere soothing. And even if soothing was it, you know, there's different kinds of soothing. There's healthy soothing that's not just lulling us into complacency. And then I'm, I'm about to start playing music again. Like I got this the whole Instagram post that I made recently talking about my COVID ear because I love sharing stuff about my body. You know that about me. I'm really into my body talk and getting deep into everything that's wrong with my body, my jaw clicking and my ear clicking and my clenching and all that, my burping. We've talked about that stuff. It's very intimate. My viral load. So I'm thinking, okay, so with this music, I'm at this interesting uh, point right now. I've got all these songs, tons of songs. I love them. I've never been happier with any music I've ever made. Like by far, this is, uh, you know, I hear, I, I just... Yeah, it's, and they're just, they're just so complete, a lot of these songs. That I just go, these have to be born, uh, I'm, they have to be shared. I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing them. And, uh, but, you know, when you make art or music in your bedroom by yourself and you don't share it, I mean, I've done a couple little videos here and there, but, um, you know, it's still just at this point where it's all mine. I haven't really brought it out there. I'm very aware that, you know, when you go out to play a show, suddenly these songs are totally different. Your playing is different. Your uh, understanding of them is different. The, they just become this totally other thing when you take them out. And I'm totally aware that I, this is Mississippi Records in Portland, Oregon. This is where it's happening with the moving pictures and Jack Hebiger's uh, Celebrity Telethon. Those are the two acts I'm playing with, both cool artists, musicians. Mississippi Records... June 4th, 7 p.m. Not Mississippi Studios. That's a venue down the street. Mississippi Records, the fantastic record store run by Eric Isaacson. So I'll be uh, playing that show. And I was just thinking, I'm, I'm picturing, you know, when you have an event coming up that's kind of novel, you know, play live, play music live. I'm very, I'm, I've done a performance my whole life, so I'm very aware of how it is that suddenly like, oh, my fingers don't work the way they do at home. Oh, my voice is weird. Oh, that part's not worked out. Oh, those chords progressions that are utterly familiar to me because I've played them a million times at home suddenly don't work any. I don't remember them. My mind has gone blank. And then I think, okay, well, that's fine. It's just part of the thing. You go through it. Nobody, who cares? The stakes are low. Doesn't matter. It's not about perfection. But what's the, uh, what's the approach? What do I do? Well, just be okay with it. Non-dual understanding. Have fun with it. That's another tactic. And I'm cool with being vulnerable, you know. Uh, so I'm looking forward to sharing these songs and seeing what they mean outside of me, of the domain. The outside is the inside. The inside is the outside. That's something I tell myself a lot. Roll that around in your head. 
So I'm thinking, yeah, it'll be cool. And, and it's kind of like playing live. You know, sometimes, I, um, like I used to tour doing music. Okay, somewhat. I wasn't like a road dog who was always out there. But I played, you know, the whole country a number of times. East Coast. And it was funny. Like sometimes, you know, you'd go out and play these songs that really made sense in Olympia. Like in the laundry room of the Martin, they were just awesome songs. But then you're playing them in New York City, and it's suddenly just like bullshit. And you go, oh, <laughs> uh, huh, I don't feel, I don't back this. And if I don't back it, then they don't back it. And oh, God. And you crumble or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I'm not at that place anymore. That was when I was in my 20s or something, but... Uh, you know what I mean? Like things just mean different things in different places and you have to have a kind of belief in what you're doing to, to just go, yeah, fuck you. This is the shit. And I'm at that place now, you know, I'm definitely at a fuck you. This is the shit phase in, of life. I mean, I'm 55 years old. Okay. And, but, but a couple lyrics that I have, that I've written and played in my bedroom and been happy with, I've changed thinking about taking them out. I'm like, well, that's not, something that you know this song about total acceptance of yourself and everything what if there's a serial killer in the audience i don't want to make them think that they can just feel good about themselves or i hope there's not a serial killer but um yeah you know there's certain things and i think that's that's just part of the whole i remember once i just cut myself off i remember playing in new york once and adam green of moldy peaches. I remember I was playing this show and I was having that kind of moment where I was going, Oh, these songs kind of suck. And then he, Adam green of moldy peaches, Kimya Dawson. Awesome. I love Kimya. He like said something like, fuck you. This song suck. What are you doing? This is bullshit. And I was like, you know, the fucking fact was I didn't disagree. I was like, yeah, you know what I mean? And uh, at one point, you know, kind of on one side, it's like, well, stand your ground. Fuck you. You know, this is my stage, not yours. But I, honestly, at that moment, I just wasn't, I, I, you know, didn't feel that way. I was like, oh, all right. Yeah, you kind of have a point. And I don't mean to characterize that that was exactly what he said or the sentiment, but he, it was some, he expressed some frustration with what I was doing. And I felt that frustration, too. Is what I, he should have probably kept his mouth shut, but whatever. And this is embarrassing, like the way uh, it could be. Well, this isn't, this isn't as, as embarrassing as that Irish accent thing when I was 19. But I was also drunk off my ass at that, at that during when I did that. So. And who am I embarrassed? Who, <laughs> what is embarrassment? When you feel just embarrassment by yourself about something that literally no one but you knew about until I told it to a podcast audience of hundreds what are you what is that embarrassment? Who is it embarrassed to or for? Who is the that's all internal, like the audience is internal, you're internal. The person who witnessed the thing. This is just me and a stranger at a bar, a person whose name I never got. We're the only two people that have that. He probably has no memory of it whatsoever, I would assume, but you never know. But he would not know who I was. You know what I'm saying? It's just completely just a thing that does not and yet I thought about that the other night when I was watching this Newfoundland video 
and my face got red and I felt bad. I was like, oh God, so embarrassing. It's painful. What is that? That's the mind. That is the mind. And that's why we watch the mind and tell ourselves, these are thoughts and sensations. They come and they go. Thoughts and sensations. They come and they go. Good ones, bad ones, comforting ones, upsetting ones, thoughts and sensations. They come and they go. If you don't do that and you don't have that perspective, that little shame thing, painful as hell. Or that embarrassment thing. What's the difference? Shame and embarrassment. There's a difference. Anyways, the, uh, that, that story with Adam Green from Moldy Peaches castigating me from the audience and then me folding. And I handed him my guitar. I said, you, you know, you want to do better? Do a song. You do a song. And of course, his song was like all, you know, attitude and, you know, strumming real fast and hard. And he's all comfortable because he, he's a New York guy. And, you know, he, when I think of him, I think of him being friends with the Strokes, you know, probably not at that point, but uh, whatever. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, he's a cool guy. His band's like cool and he kicks ass and he got up and he's all confident and he knows his shit because his, his testing ground is not the Olympia, not the laundry room at the Martin. His uh, testing ground is, you know, the Lower East Side, New York folk music. So it's obviously going to be a little more all season, all weather music as opposed to mine, which was out there being tested and not always rising to the test, whatever. But uh, I don't know. Looking back on that, I don't actually feel bad. I was just kind of, because I was honest. I was like, yeah, you know, it's not like I, but um, not like I, I don't know what I was going to say. It's not like I, it's not like I couldn't be honest with myself about how I felt. I could be. I was honest with myself. So that's a win. And, you know, with music back then, like there, I always had, I often had that feeling. I'm like, I'm just not that good. I can't play very well. I don't write very interesting chord progressions. My songs are, I, I don't really live what I'm singing about. You know, if you listen to like my album on K, you know, My Religion is Love and these songs about just universal. I know it's just so, songs about universal love and just, I wanted so badly to get something across. And I, at moments I did, you know, there's a couple songs on there that resonate to me. But, you know, I'm not even you know, going back over that kind of stuff, but whatever the case, I always had a feeling like I just am not up to this, this. And I walked away from music. I was just like, I'm done. I don't believe what I'm singing about. I'm not very good. And I just can't fake it. I'm not an entertainer in that way that I'm just on some course to just continue because I've started this course of music making. I should just continue forever, make a career of it. I just know it's like, if I don't feel it and I don't, like it or whatever, just I'm done. I'm, I'll walk. I'm, I just close the door, walk away, do something else. I'm sure I mentioned this on the show before the time I played a show in, with uh, Elliot Smith in Olympia. I booked him to come up and play at the Midnight Sun. Wanted to do an all acoustic show. I'd, it was a what was the lineup Sarah Duker, Sarah Duker, Lois, and Elliot was the headliner. And I remember Lois was pretty tight with him. Or at least she knew him. 
And she had his phone number, so she's like, yeah, call him up. So I called him. He's down in Portland at the time. I offered him 200 bucks, and he was like, jumped at it. He was like, hell yeah, I'll come up. So he came came up, and they, that's a time, right? You can just call Elliot Smith, have him come up for 200 bucks to play headline a show. Like 40 people there. And yeah, he was one of those people that made me made me just look at what I was doing and go, wow. I'm I'm just not that good. You know, granted, I'm comparing myself then to like somebody who history has shown was like is like one of the greatest songwriters and players of all time. You know, he's just my my peer or whatever at the time, like two guys who play acoustic guitar songs in the Northwest. But it just so happened that like one of these guys was basically the Beatles, a solo Beatle. You know, so it's rather reasonable that I felt slightly inadequate when comparing myself to this particular peer in terms of my own songwriting at the time. But I remember I played my songs of my response to my own pain then was to write these mushroom inspired songs of transcendent joy. His response to his pain was to write these eternal songs of dark, beautiful poetry and mastery. But I remember I played my songs and he came on stage afterwards and he was like, I think I'm going to make everybody depressed after that. And of course, no one was depressed after he played his set. You're just in awe because of the sheer beauty, the flower-like beauty of a flower in the sense that they're just so perfect. You know, the way when you look at a a spring flower, which I've been doing a lot, well, not lately because I've been inside with COVID, but prior to my COVID, I've been just this year, just marveling at flowers every second, just the perfection of their forms. And that's, you know, truly great art, like a great song by Elliot. It's like a flower. And you know, the fact is I got some flowers now too. And I had some flowers back then. I just didn't discount them. You know, a, a hearty daisy. I was making like a daisy. I was making some musical dandelions. And dandelions, if you stop and look at them, they're pretty. They're cool. You know, you not every flower has to be a, a peony, a delicate, perfect rose. You know, a little buttercup. That's also a flower. And you need the buttercups too. You can't have everything be an orchid like Elliot Smith's songs. But I got some, I got some songs nowadays that I listen to and I go, I'll hear, see my, I'm surprised what my fingers are doing, you know? And I go, some of these, these are interesting constructions and they, they get out of Daisy and Dandelion realm. And some of them are kind of like roses and stuff and makes me very happy to see and listen to and, and to share them. So, doing that and also i was talking earlier about you know listening to brian johnson going like i should be brian johnson i should be david Bowie. i should be i am maybe i am i used to have that with people like elliot you know wouldn't it be great if i could be like elliot wouldn't it be great if i could be like kurt you know just an unabashed genius in his full flower but look at those two guys they're no longer with us you know you can't estimate what anybody's going through or what their journey is and whatever, you know, I mean, maybe you guys don't have that problem anyways of like comparing yourself and wanting to be other people, but I always had that. I don't have that anymore. I really don't. 
it has flown. If I do have it, it's just a very passing fancy that I recognize for a minute and I don't dwell on, dwell in. I got my own flowers to share, and I want to share them from a place of happiness and wholeness. And that's what I'll be doing June, June 4th at uh, Mississippi Records. Rest in peace, Elliot Smith. Rest in power. Rest in perfection. Thank you for the music. Absolutely. I don't have to tell you guys. Got to see him number of many times, actually, and always mind-bendingly incredible. Remember the Yo-Yo A-Go-Go show? I just said, do you, ever, do you follow the Buddyhead account on Instagram? I love that account, Buddyhead2 or Buddyhead. He, he, he posted a photo that he took of Elliot at uh, Yo-Yo A-Go-Go. I played that year too. I think I was toward the top of the bill on one of the Friday or Saturday night. I opened for, I know Slater Kenny headlined the show. I was earlier on the bill. And anyways, Elliot did, uh, he headlined the afternoon show on the last day, like a Sunday, I think it was a Sunday afternoon. And that was the first time that I realized like, whoa, he's moved beyond the midnight sun because there were people, if the show was completely sold out and there were people in the alley next to the Capitol theater in tears because they had driven a long ways to go to see Elliot and they couldn't get in. And the Capitol theater just had a hard no. It was just like, I don't care. You can cry all you want. This fire code. We're at beyond capacity. It's not going to happen. And I was like, whoa, Elliot has achieved a thing. Anyways, Buddy had, I, I can't, what is his name? Travis. I'm almost certain that Travis, Martin knows Travis, I think. Buddy had, he, he posted a photo that he took of Elliot Smith and he said he was out on the side of the building and he's, and Elliot was out there smoking and they said to him, you know, we got here and we don't have a, ticket and he said well i have two passes elliot said to, to to travis and his friend you know well i have two passes for friends and he said well, do you guys want to be my friends so he brought them in to see the show and travis took a photograph of elliot playing from it looked like the side of the capitol theater stage and he was selling it on his a, a print of this photo on his Instagram account. Follow Buddyhead. Buy his photos. He does good work on the gram. Yeah, I liked hearing that story. Because I remember that seeing that show. It was fantastic, as all, all of these shows were. I mean, I know he had some rough shows there when he was really strung out and stuff, but uh, this one was transcendent. Every show I saw him do was transcendent. Incredible. And thank you, Tina Turner, for your life, your art, your music. I know you're listening. The example of her life, my God, just epic, a true icon. You know, the term icon is thrown around a lot. I was watching the one of the dumb shows I watched during, well, not dumb, but, you know, not so inspiring show was the uh, Travis or sorry, Travis, the Jared from subway documentary about the catching of this predator. Um, it, it was so weird during, I thought about how I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping this up too, by the way, I'm not just going to endlessly riff forever. <clears throat> 
I was going to say the bed is calling me back to sleep, but I'm I'm in bed, but the reclining position is is beckoning me. But yeah, the, the uh, Jared from Subway documentary that's on uh, HBO. How many times they refer to him as like he was such a trusted person? He's like the one person everybody could trust in the United States. He was so popular. He was so famous. He was so beloved. I'm going. Did I miss something? <laughs> this is a guy that all America could agree on, a hero to all Americans. He's a dude, he's a corporate sandwich seller. A guy who lost weight. That's the only thing he did. I mean, obviously it turns out it's not the only thing he did, but you know what I'm saying? But they just kept they kept portraying him in this in the show as like Jared from Subway. The whole world was at his feet. Everybody just adored him everywhere he went. He was celebrated and I'm going, God, this country. (laughs) Okay, I just took a cough break there. Still coughing. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, God, this country. Nope. I mean, who would have ever guessed this guy? Like, we don't know him. He's not some, you know, he's just a dude. Like a super normal looking dude who like just holds up a big pair of pants and goes, look, I'm thinner now because I eat these sandwiches. Why is this the most trusted guy in America and everybody's so shocked? What do you know about him? Well, he's on TV. He's a face I recognize. So he's famous. So he's probably rich. So he's probably cool. So he's probably whatever. It was a very dark, that was not an inspiring watch. I mean, I was inspired by the woman who, you know, helped expose him and suffered for it. But, uh, yeah, not, not a, not like the George Harrison, the Tina Turner or the uh, James Baldwin. I also watched the Hillsong church thing. I'm, I'm just, all I've been doing is, like I said, is watching the, my screen. So the Hillsong documentary, oh, that's it. I won't even get into that. The dark, the church thing. I will just say this, you know, really, like this drag queen thing, it's the hypocrisy on the right. Like who wouldn't rather leave your child with drag queens than with pastors and church people? Do you know? I mean, really, like even do even church people really believe their kids would be better off with church people than drag queens? I think in their hearts of heart, they know drag queens, drag queens would be much safer people to leave your kids with than pastors. Because, well, I don't even have to say why, because you know what the story is probably like. Mega church, corporate, religious cult. I mean, if you're going to do a religious cult, do a Christian one. That's the smartest way. You get the best cover. Just a for-profit corporate cult where we just, you know, they're the smartest ones in, the, in a way. It's like, let's do a corporation where we don't have to make anything or sell anything. I guess that's kind of a music label, but yeah, you know what I mean? We'll just sell community back to people. Again, back to like the problems with our world, our consumerist capitalist world, where you can market community to people, a sense of belonging without even having to attach it to shoes or anything. Just, yeah, so, and yeah, like I was saying, it's like full of sexual predation of every person by narcissistic, toxic dudes. That Hillsong Megachurch Exposed documentary, not in mandatory viewing, but if you're inclined, it was compelling. 
All right. So those, that's my entertainment reviews to cap off my uh, takedown of entertainment as a drug of our culture. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up there. I'm just going to say thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being you. Thank you for supporting the podcast. I will shout out all my, I shouted out my Patreon supporters last time. I'll shout out my Spotify supporters at two platforms where people support the pod. I'll shout them out by name, you guys out by name next time. Thank you so much. We'll have guests. We'll have an interview next time. I should be completely back. Ear will probably still be clicking, but you know, whatever. I got a click track now in my life. It just doesn't keep any rhythm. Yeah, thank you. If you can't support the pod with a donation, a monthly contribution, or a one-time contribution, I accept those as well. You can tell a friend about it. You can say, hey, I really like this pod. Oh, what's it about? Well, it's a guy who talks about his bodily functions. He burps a lot and we're hoping he'll fart at some point on air, which is not going to happen. I will not, I will not let that come through. That's going to be, that's going to lie. The farts will land on the cutting room floor if that should happen during podcasting. And on that repulsive note, I will end the episode. Thank you for bearing with me and for bearing witness to my struggle and evolution and ultimate triumph. I appreciate you all. We'll see you again next time. And by see, I mean, you'll listen to me speak. If you tune in, I'm trying to (laughs) dismount gracefully. Thank you. Goodbye. Rufus learned how to play on an old fiddle that belonged to his grandmother. He was a shy 11-year-old and he didn't want anyone to hear him. So he always practiced by a window so he could look out and see if anyone was coming. That's how he developed his unique way of holding the fiddle. As a boy, he had to tuck it into his right shoulder so the bow wouldn't hit the window glass.